Welcome to The Emergent Human, where we explore optimizing health, and body spirituality, and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a therapist, coach, and educator, and I'm your host. Today's show is brought to you by Somatic Psychotherapy Today. You can learn more about Somatic Psychotherapy Today by visiting their website at somaticpsychotherapytoday.com. Today's guest I'm very excited for is Dr. Roger Janka. He's, an, he's a oriental medicine doctor is one of the most respected luminaries in the fields of evidence-based mind-body practices, wellness, and integrative medicine, and Chinese medicine for self-transformation. He has dedicated his professional life to sharing the ancient holistic empowerment and healing traditions of China, distilled for contemporary times. As a director and chief instructor of the Institute of Integral, Qigong and Tai Chi in Santa Barbara, California, he, is, he and his IIQTC colleagues have trained over 3,000 Tai Chi and Qigong teachers and practice leaders internationally. With 35 years of clinical practice as a physician of acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine and 10 years research tours in China's temples and sacred mountain sites, he has emerged as a key spokesman for and master teacher of Tai Chi, Qigong, and mind-body practices. He's written two books. The first, The Healer Within, using traditional Chinese techniques to release your own, your body's own medicine. And his second book is Healing Promise of Qi, Creating Extraordinary Wellness Through Qigong and Tai Chi. Welcome, Roger. <laughs> Michael, good to see you again. It's, it's very good to see you as well, my friend. And uh, wow. You've trained lots of people. You've been in the field for an awful long time. You've written two books. You have your own institute. That's a lot of work you've done. But I'm very curious, Roger, like, how did you first learn about Chinese medicine? How did you get involved in Chinese medicine or just wellness in, in general, Chinese medicine in particular? Yeah, so uh, I'm from a place called Ohio. And uh, the only thing that I knew about Chinese anything uh, was that when I went to college, um, there was a Chinese restaurant, uh, which I loved to go to. And, um, I, I studied at a, uh, at the university of Cincinnati in pre-med. Okay. And one of the things that happened to me there is that I was, well, and I'll tell you why my dad died when I was 10 years old. And so I was mystified by the fact that this seemingly well person uh, just slipped away and people would say you know things like only the good die young and <laughs> platitude on platitude um, but before that I would always say I want to be a baseball player because Cincinnati has a fantastic baseball team sometimes and um, after my dad died, when people would ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I shifted my story to say, I want to be a doctor. And so went to pre-medical school. And what happened there was that I asked the question, uh, because it was traditional in my family, uh, to seek a mentor. I asked the question, is there someone here who understands uh, disease prevention? Uh, we didn't even say anything like wellness or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, biohacking or anything like that. We just said, 
disease prevention. And the comeback from more than one person was, no, uh, we're doctors. Uh, we diagnose and treat disease. If you want to study well-being, you have to do some. Actually, I had one person say, you should study home economics. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, in the 1960s, it's mm -hmm. in high school, you would study okay. home economics. As a kid, like I learned how to, I went to a home economics class where, where we, we would learn how to do ironing and cooking mm -hmm. and all kinds of cool in gardening, by the way. Anyway, I was, uh, it was 1967. I mm. was uh, smoking a carload of pot. Uh, I was growing my hair down to the sidewalk. I was burning my draft card. And so I quit. I dropped out of medical school and I got mm. into uh, uh, comparative world literature where mm. the first book that we read was the Tao Te Ching. Oh, wow. And <clears throat> number 10, uh, anybody who wants to look this up, do it. The first couple of phrases in the Tao Te Ching, number 10 is, can you still your mind and uh, become aware of the, of the unitary nature of the universe? Then it says, can you use your breath and your body to sustain the suppleness of a newborn with no cares? And I thought to myself, okay, this is it. I want to be a doctor of this. And mm. so I studied Chinese medicine. Uh, I had a very, very fortunate opportunity to uh, be, to move to Hawaii where I studied Chinese mm. medicine with a, a, an amazing uh, physician there who was starting an institute in 1972. And, uh, and, 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 and because it was a very traditional school of Chinese medicine, I learned a lot about the interface between not so much clinical practice and health recovery, though that was certainly there with acupuncture and herbal medicine and so forth. But we were very focused on the interface between personal behavior and mm -hmm. health maximization as well as disease recovery. So the underlying foundation which, of Chinese medicine, which I just love, is the fact that it's all about activating naturally occurring self-maximizing mechanisms within the human system. In other words, it's all here. And even acupuncture is intended to arrange what's already here and herbal medicine is intended to nourish what's already here so the bottom line and this will be my last sentence is that the most profound medicine is produced within the human system and we could even say produced within the human system for no cost because a person, a consumer, a citizen can turn these uh, mechanisms on. I mean, it takes a little training and it takes a little inspiration and it takes a little, <laughs> here's everybody's least favorite. It takes a little discipline, but it's possible to actually 
activate a, a, a myriad, a, a, an uncountable, the, hum, the humans have, don't even know how the human actually works yet. And so we can turn these things on by using insights that were uncovered by people before the written language of any of the cultures in the world. Which is amazing to consider that it's you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Uh, that's just amazing. And, and for people to subjectively experience and then map the different energetic systems in the body, it's just amazing to consider how they were able to accomplish that. Well, I, I love your it. word subjective there, uh, mm -hmm. because we in the modern world, we have become pr prisoners of this um, idea that subjective insight is not science. Yeah. And actually, just to take a few moments, uh, the word science uh, has always meant to observe. And when I went to school, and maybe when you went to school, we learned that originally scientists were called natural philosophers, natural philosophers. So, you know, what is philosophy, <laughs> but just opinions about the nature of the world. And, and here's another really interesting about science. If you put it together with a root or a modifier, C-O-N, conscience, conscience, conscience means with science. So mm. cons conscience really means mm. to progress oneself relative to what one has observed. And of course, it really means that we're observing. And what happens to modern people is they just listen to these people called scientists who may or may not actually be reflecting what one is, is observing. Yeah. yeah, what's interesting, I think, my, at least my experiences with Chinese medicine is it's subjective, intersubjective, and objective. I mean, there, there are things that are empirical to be measured. There are things that are very subjective and, and there is exchanges between people in terms of meaning making, which is just amazing to consider. Indeed. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, before we jump into the human system and how the Chinese medicine philosophy looks at it and helps individuals optimize it, even without exogenous things supporting it, although we can talk about herbs and acupuncture as well. I'm curious about you, Roger. Who was the Roger before you studied Chinese medicine? formally and who's the roger came out of that school yeah uh, the roger <laughs> so we're going to high school here uh, i was a traumatized uh, youth um uh, my family was beautiful my, my dad was just an amazing human being he was a marine he taught me how to hunt uh i have a really interesting story about hunting i'll just tell it now and that is that I killed a rabbit after my dad died. I did a lot of hunting and, and uh, on a very pristine snowy morning, I went out hunting with my bow and arrow and I killed a rabbit. And as I walked up to it, this is right after my dad died. And I saw the blood flowing out onto this white snow. I had this epiphany that I had just killed the father of some little bunny children. 
and it it was extremely upsetting to me because it was a clash between the power of being a hunter and the power of being someone who was traumatized by the early demise of a parent. And it really uh, had a huge influence on me, which drove me into things like running away from home, smoking cigarettes at 12 years old, uh, being uh, extremely shy. Mm -hmm. And um, in high school, uh, I was a I was a kind of like a wallflower <laughs> kind of character. Um, I, I got, you know, medium level grades. Uh, I was just basically a below average person. I actually had the I had the experience of being kicked off of the basketball team. <laughs> wow. It was just like you know, pile on, pile on, pile on, and so that was. That was me, and um, uh, very unsure about pretty much everything. And at this point, uh, after going to the school of life, uh, having a very uncomfortable divorce, and uh, a few other, uh, you know, kind of uh, depressing uh, experiences, I really locked on. Uh, by the way, my first yoga class was in 1963. Um, I was uh, inducted or whatever they call it into uh, transcendental meditation the same year as the Beatles and the same year as Herbert Benson from Harvard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I found my way into uh, a relationship with uh, Alan Watts. And Alan Watts uh, was uh, always referring to um, this. Can you see that? I can. Yeah. That is, we call that the yin yang symbol, but it's actually, that's not its name in Chinese, in the Chinese <laughs> language. The name of that is Tai Chi Tu. Tai Chi Tu. Tu <laughs> means map. Tai Chi means the, uh, duality like the, the 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 highest most principle first principle level of duality which spills into dimensional uh into the dimensional world from another uh realm called wu ji so you got taiji and wuji wuji means cosmic oneness no time no space boundlessness and taiji means time and space and weight and light and darkness and you know all these uh, dualities that make up our our uh, lives so uh, Alan Watts you know bless his soul he really leveraged me up into reading the Tao Te Ching which I just uh, quoted uh, from uh, number 10, which is a very, very powerful one, but the Tao Te Ching is just 81 amazing short sutras, if you want to call them, or texts on the nature of the world and the nature of life. And I think that the ultimate, uh, Michael, is, you know, we all seek to cook this down into the shortest sentence we possibly can so that we can remember it 
from moment to moment. And my favorite sentence from all the great Chinese texts, which goes all the way back to uh, probably 2000, maybe 2,500 years ago, says this. This is so amazing. It says, first sentence, the secret is acceptance. Then the second sentence says, your capacity to develop uh, or cultivate acceptance will be revealed as a dazzling spiritual energy. And then the third sentence says that when you cultivate this capacity to accept what you cannot control, it brings peace to the world. So now the question is, if I accept everything that arises that I can't control, will I create peace in what we see in the dimensional world? Or will I create peace in the my world? Because as you know, everybody is in a world. Some people call it a personal life world, a personal life world. And so I know for sure that when I have cultivated this capacity to sustain a sense and not for every moment and not for every experience, but as much as possible to a sustain a capacity for noticing, can I control this? Doesn't look like it. Okay. Accept it. And then to experience how that proliferates into my world as peace. And of course, if I'm at peace, then the whole world is also incremental, incrementally more at peace as well. I'd like to ask you that because <clears throat> so you do practices. I mean, you actually teach Tai Chi and Qigong or practices to, to embody what I'm hearing you say. But from my understanding of the Chinese system, that, that there are the certain... Um, organs are connected to emotions as an example. And I would love for you to just kind of touch upon that and how the Chinese system is energetic, psychological, physical, metaphysical. I mean, it kind of integrates all these different things and maybe we could use kind of emotions as a segue in. And before you, if that's okay with you, but before you do, I just want to share one thing with you. I didn't have the, the privilege and honor of Alan, spending time with Alan Watts. Um, I'm really cool to hear that you did. But I did have the opportunity to work for his son when I was in grad school, transcribing his father's lectures. Hmm. And I got to say, listening to his father and typing them up wasn't as good as being with his father, but it's probably the second best thing I could imagine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, really yeah. Cool. amazing, amazing. And uh, allow me to say just for the record and to keep things clear, uh, I did not have the great fortune of being in the presence of Alan Watts. Um, I was just studying with him. Studying I was work. just reading his books okay. in high school. And um, yeah, and we had okay. numerous near misses at uh, the Esalen Institute. But um, oh, so you and I are pretty much in same proximity okay. to, the, to the man. Okay, very cool. Cool. Thanks for the clarification, but still awesome. You know, reading out and watching high school. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, you had Especially to be desperate, in, right? I mean, if you had to be desperate to read Alan Watts, why? Because if you weren't desperate, you were a hero. 
you were an admired athlete. You were a scholar of things that have to do with high school. Um, so I was none of those. So I was forced into these alternative <laughs> universes for which I now have just humbling gratitude. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's almost, it's almost, we can be thankful and I, I'm sorry for your loss, of course, for your father, but thankful for the challenges you face and the way you face them, because that produced the man that you are today and affecting all the lives that you have affected and will continue to affect. So there's yeah, like amen. a blessing within that. There's the acceptance right there. Yeah. yeah. So using more psychological entry points to talk about the Chinese medicine system, if that's okay with you, organs, emotions, sure. those, those kind of things. Yeah, so, so how this all works is that if we go historic uh, to origin and then fast forward through dynastic periods of time, what happens is that profound ancient subjective insights become deranged through political dogma, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And it just happens, I mean, the collapse of, of the American society is, is, is showing that right now. You know, we have this great 1776 and then everybody sort of splits off into their, I'm a, you know, I'm a angry person, I'm a poor person, uh, you're a bad person, you're the elite, the greedy, all that stuff. And pretty soon it's like, the Greeks, it's like the Romans, it's like the Egyptians, it's like the Tang Dynasty Chinese. When, when, the, when, the, when the weight of um, political impulse overcomes the natural insights of free spirits, uh, you know, things fall apart. So why I'm saying that is that so much of what Chinese medicine became is actually kind of corrupted. Uh, 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 fortunately, the extent to which that corruption has a negative impact is pretty low. And here's why. Because you can put an acupuncture needle almost anywhere and get some kind of a benefit. Why is that? Well, because a person is lying down, now you're putting pins in them, and uh, where are they gonna go? And so it's basically a period of forced relaxation. Then what happens is many acupuncturists will leave you alone for a while and even put on some lovely music. And so now you're pinned down, you're relaxing in a way that you hardly ever do. Plus there's some kind of, I'm just going to say irritant that has been in, in, in pushed through the skin to turn on a whole array of, uh, shall we say, naturally occurring mechanisms, everything from what we could call uh, the self-regulatory capacity uh, that has to do the, with the neurological system, but also when you put a needle into a body, there's a healing response which is mobilized immediately, uh, which is different than the uh, neurological response. And then there's the potential of a energetic response, which has to do with the acupuncture needles being some kind of, shall we say, antennas for ambient cosmological energies to 
have an influence on internal energies. So there's a lot going on there. So what I'm saying is that the body of knowledge, even though it became dogmatic and then changed uh, per dynasty, because just like when the Republicans get into the White House, all the Democrats have to leave. When an, a new emperor comes into to a Chinese dynasty, all the old dynasty either leave or are slaughtered. And so then they reinvent everything to, uh, to adjust to the political whims of the, the new party. So we're, we're not gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about what happened originally which was that the, the ancient uh, indigenous shamanic uh, wizards of these things, the people who cared about caring for the human mind, body, spirit, came up with a, with a, a paradigm called the three treasures. And the three treasures have a uh, Chinese words and so forth that go with them, but let's keep it simple. And we'll talk about it as the treasure of the physical self, the treasure of the mental emotional self, and the treasure of the transcendental presence. So we'll, we'll just use the Greek uh, holistic ideal of mind, I'm sorry, body, mind, spirit. <clears throat> so acupuncture, herbal medicine, uh, qigong, meditation, and uh, Kung Fu and Tai Chi, all of those are rooted in this idea that well-being is maximized by integrating the three treasures. So how do we integrate the body, the mind, and the spirit? And let's use your idea of coming in from the, from the emotional self. <clears throat> So we'll call the mind, both the intellectual mind, which is our knowledge base and our assumptions. And then we have the emotional mind. And by the way, in the Chinese tradition, the mind and the heart are one thing. And this goes all the way back to the origins of Chinese language and still means the same thing today. So when we, we hear Chinese people, uh, the, whatever a Chinese person said, translated as heart, it really means heart, mind. And I'm using these two hands because the mind is one part of the mental emotional self and the emotions is another part of the emotional self. And one of the things that I learned from my favorite my two favorite uh, um, Native American shamans uh, way back in the uh, 1960s was when they would sing songs and prayers, there would always be a phrase at the end of a, of a paragraph of song or prayer that went like this, and now the heart and the mind are one. And now the heart and the mind are one. So the Chinese language reflects this idea that the feeling self and the intellectual self are in a relationship. So the entry point for any kind of, shall we say, 
uh, I don't want to say intervention because that's medical, but let's just call it a practice. The entry point for, let's say nutrition, the entry point for sleep, the entry point for um, performance. There's going to be a body component to performance. There's going to be a uh, mental emotional component to performance and then there's going to be this mysterious transcendental feature to anything nourishment sleep performance etc how does that work well think to yourself you go to a workshop it says you know nutrition at the end of the workshop you say yes then you get home, you open your refrigerator and all the same stuff that was in there before is still there. And all of the reasons why you filled your refrigerator with what you filled it with are all still there. So those are nutrients, but it, it has a consciousness component regarding nutrient choices. And so if we're going to enter into performance from the point of view of nourishment we're going to get some knowledge that's for the intellectual self but then we're going to also have to deal with our choice making which is our emotional self to be able to actually get the right <coughs> nutrients into onto the plate shall we say so then let's take uh, let's take something else and let's come in from the emotions regarding having a uh, you went to a workshop, you really loved it, and what it said was that you're more of a spiritual being than you are a physical being. And you think, oh, I love that. I love that workshop. I love that workshop leader. I, I want to have the benefit of that. So how do you get the benefit of realizing your transcendental nature? And by the way, the transcendental self is also the invincible self because the non-dimensional self can't be harmed there's nothing that can harm you if you're not a body or a mind and so we don't we're not going to ask the question how many lives do i have uh, you know i don't know about that but i do know that there's a quantum presence to my being and that that equates in some way to my transcendental self or my uh, non-limited uh, by dimension self. And so how am I going to have a, a realization at the level of practical implementation about my transcendental presence? The part of myself that, that need not be shy, the part of myself that need not be angry, the part of myself that need not be judgmental, the part of myself which is inherently compassionate, how do I work that one? And the answer is I have to decide to. And so the heart-mind is the bottom line on decision-making, of course. And so now I'm in the bank, I'm in the line at the bank, and it's going too slow and I need to be someplace else and I'm freaking out and I'm getting angry and frustrated and I can't remember that I'm devoting myself to being 
in an equanimical place no matter what. Because after all, how did the circumstances get created? Either I created the entire world or everybody in the world is creating the entire world. And I and everybody who created the world created the line that I'm in at the bank. Mm. So the whole idea of being angry at that line is, well, in this context, it's actually stupid. <laughs> so then yeah. well, let's link this just briefly to the channels and the organs. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> as a doctor of Chinese medicine, I discovered through 35 years of clinical practice that the direct association between organs and emotions is, shall we say, moderate. In other words, it's it's not it's not a rule. But what I what I also learned because I've taught Chinese medicine in Chinese medicine schools is that as every culture, every shamanic culture, whether it's the the Greeks, the the Celts, the the, the Druids, the Native Americans, the South Americans, the Africans, the Siberians, the, the Chinese, the everybody else, the Australians, all those indigenous cultures decided that the best way to keep count, account of the nature of the world is to create a system of associations. Mm -hmm. So in other words, once they discovered that there were 12 organs, then they went about the business of figuring out how to remember those organs. And so it's like a spreadsheet. You've got the organ over here, uh, and then you've got the emotions here, and you also have the seasons, you have the colors, and all this stuff comes together. And if you look at the, uh, at, you, at the Native Americans, same, you know, seasons, colors, uh, associations with, you know, the spring associated with the birth, the summer associated with productivity of a young person and a middle-aged person, the fall associated with a retired person, the winter associated with a person who's transitioning out of this life, that every shamanic culture has that same framework. And so I like the idea, I, I was originally just mystified by the idea that the organs are associated with the emotions. But what I realized in the end was that what's actually the most associated with the organs and the emotions and the health and well-being is consciousness. So that goes to the heart-mind. And the heart-mind is associated with the element of fire and all that stuff. And we, we could have a talk about that, but I, I really want to support the people who are listening to this in having a revelation that while it's mystifying and interesting, the, the paradigm of the chi channels, and obviously there's chi, and obviously the chi is operating in the body, we're not really positive that where the Chinese drew those lines on those bodies in those books are actually real lines. Nobody's proven that yet. But what we do know is that underlying all of this mythology about channels and organs and emotions, underlying all of that is a very simple concept, which is the 
integration of the three treasures and that all of it is going to be based on choices and those choices are going to be made more or less relative to the level of cultivation and to the level of trauma. So if a person has been horrifically traumatized, it's probably going to require more discipline, more focus, more practice, more support than a person like myself. I mean, I'm moderately traumatized, but I've never been present when someone that I knew was killed. I've never been nearby a bomb going off. And so, and we all, you know, everybody has their kind of relative relationship with trauma because many people who have hardly any trauma at all are immensely traumatized. And some people who've had lots of trauma are really incredibly resilient. Yeah. So in the end, the point that I'm making is that if you think of yourself as a body, a heart mind and a transcendental self, then the, the key particularly for personal practice. I mean, let your acupuncturist do whatever they want and use whatever paradigm they want to use because it's never going to be harmful. It's always very positive. But for a personal practitioner, someone who aspires to crack the code, to, to hack in to, uh, you know, etern eternal life <laughs> and highest level of performance enhancement possible, it's all going to come down to integrating the body, mind, and spirit, recognizing that they're, they're all there, bringing them into, into harmony. And, and the only way that that can be done is through choices. Wow. So here's a crossroad, here's a crossroad of choices. <laughs> I think this is a really good place to stop and or I'm like wow I just have a million questions that I can go in a million different directions but what I, I think what I'd like to do is literally have this as a place to stop I do want to ask you like where people can learn more about your books and your programs sure. and stuff but invite you back because literally there's a tons of different roads I like to take this conversation down but I think they could be their own unique discussions and podcasts if that's okay with you yeah let me say one more thing it's super please weird. is please. that the easiest first thing is breath practice. Mm -hmm. It is very hard to control the mind. It is very hard to control the choices that we make about our eating. It's very hard to manage our sleep if we are um, worried uh, because that's just a cortisol trigger. But what we can do is just, you know, write this down, put it on that, those little sticky notes and yeah. put it on the refrigerator, on the mirror, on the, on the computer, on the mirror of your car. And just simply put one word, breathe. Now there's a whole array of knowledge about breath practice. And we, uh, uh, a part of Tai Chi, Qigong, Yoga, Kung Fu is breath practice. Uh, so there's, you know, miles and miles and piles and piles that we can learn about breath practice. But just modifying the pace and depth of the breath. So as you're going to sleep, say to yourself, modify the pace of my breath, just something. And you know, we've got a whole program called 
breath medicine, but um, it, just doing something on a, on a regular basis. When you wake up in the morning, same. What are you going to do? Jump out of bed and race to it? No, you're going to lay there for a few minutes at least. Why not take a deep breath? You could adjust your posture a little bit while you're lying there too and um, begin to develop the ability to make the choice to do some small thing that you don't usually do. That is the crack that opens all the biohacking and all the neurohacking and all the, you know, energy hacking. It's all about choice making. And the easiest thing is to, to use what we call breath medicine, but just keep it super simple for today and say, modify the depth and pace of the breath a couple of times a day. When you wake up, takes a couple of minutes, before you go to sleep, it takes a couple of minutes. Back to you, sir. That's awesome. No, I love the fact you left people with something to think about and more importantly do on a daily basis, both as a discipline, which I think you've already mentioned is a challenge for a lot of people. So it's a good practical <laughs> discipline and a tease because I want people to come back and, and listen to more of our engagement. But even between now and the time we get back together to have more conversations, they can also check out your books, your programs, your other work that you do. Tell us a little bit about where people can find those different things and what you have available to them. Yes, sir. Thank you. And I'm sure that probably some of this is going to show up in the show notes, and I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So the uh, Institute of Integral Qigong and Tai Chi, <clears throat> which is a training and research institute, is uh, has a website, and it's very simple. It's I iqtc.org Institute of Integral Qigong and Tai Chi is iqtc.org and I just mentioned breath medicine if you fish around a little bit on that site you'll find a link to breath medicine and even the sales page of I mean don't even buy the product just read the sales page there's a lot of incredible information there we have what we call the free Qigong library. It's also on that page and probably in the show notes. Um, we have a YouTube uh, page. Uh, this is a, this is a, uh, uh, there's a lot, there's actually one of our YouTube, uh, YouTube uh, videos has pretty close to 2 million views. Wow. And uh, that is, that, that uh, YouTube page is called, um, the, put the word the first, Tai Chi, spelled with two words, T-A-I, second word, C-H-I, and Qigong Wei, Q-I-G-O-N-G, Wei, the T Tai Chi and Qigong Wei. There's uh, 40 or 50 videos there. And uh, we could go on. I think there's one other thing that I wanted to mention. Oh, I've been working with an organization called the SHIFT network mm -hmm. uh, a pretty interesting group of people and i've taught five courses for them and if you go to the shift network uh, actually if you go to uh, if you go to the products page of the iiqtc there's a click there to click through to the shift courses and um and yeah and there's five of them so That's lots awesome. lots of cool stuff and uh michael 
what a pleasure to know you all these years. And I just want to say Jim Turner out loud, who introduced us a, 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 a just a profoundly uh, humane human being who has slipped away as a mentor for both of us. Um, and so we've known each other for a couple of years. We've had a few conversations and uh, I love it that we just keep, you know, coming back together and you know, there's a revolution in play here. It has to do with sovereignty and empowerment for in individuals to, to, to realize how powerful they are. And you're working on it, I'm working on it. And not that we have the expectation that it's gonna succeed because that might be depressing. Uh, so we keep our energy high by holding the preference for a a positive revolution of human sovereignty, um, but we don't hold our breath or uh, bang ourselves against uh, any kind of hard walls because that's just, that's not making the right choice. <laughs> well, and I'll speak to just two things really quickly. You know, I think one of the lessons I learned from studying Chinese philosophy, Taoism uh, and Buddhism um, is kind of, a, well, firstly, maybe not Buddhism, it's more the immediacy of the moment, but the long-term, like, you know, we here in the West, especially in the States, it's like this quarter, no, this week, no, this day, no, this next five minutes. You know, we, <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't take 50, 100, 250, 500 year views down, down the road. And I think one of the benefits I've gotten from studying Chinese philosophy is like the long view. Because if you hold a short view and you don't succeed, yes, you there's a lot of psychological consequences to that. So I <laughs> definitely appreciate everything you just said. And for Jim Turner, who I missed dearly, you know, he used Chinese philosophy. He talked about the energetic flows in the culture as part of our transparency work. So he was really good at integrating kind of Western philosophical thought and Chinese thought in terms of mm. how he viewed and understood how cultures shift and change and how we can best make policy changes here, at least in the States. So I'm really glad you brought Jim up because yeah, he was a mentor to us both, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I look forward to our next opportunity, uh, yeah. Michael, and uh, many blessings, uh, waves of blessing chi for you and everybody Thank who's you. listening. Thank you, Roger. Great to see you, my friend. Blue and sea. Nothing in between us and love.